Well, it's been a long three years since the last time Formula One raced at Albert Park in Melbourne and a long two years when the sport was set to open up the 2020 season only for the world to shut down due to the pandemic. But this weekend, it is the Australian Grand Prix. It is back. It is the home race for Daniel Ricciardo and is also, of course, round three of the World Championship. This is the Overtake Formula One podcast, and we will preview the Australian Grand Prix and give you our five things to watch for this weekend. We'll also have our top five and bottom five from Saudi Arabia. We'll discuss Albert Park and its changes in our track talk segment, give you the tires that Pirelli will be bringing for the Grand Prix, and we'll have a little bit of a segment on Formula One's return to the city of Las Vegas for 2023. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the channel if you like what we have been doing. If you're new to this podcast, welcome aboard. I hope you like what we're doing so that you will subscribe, give us a like, give us a five-star review, really help us grow the channel as we continue to cover the 2022 Formula One season. So Sunday marks the third race of the year, and what we've been seeing so far has been really remarkable racing between the two frontrunners in Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. They have swapped leads at both Jeddah and, of course, the opener in Bahrain. We're seeing the new cars race closer. We are seeing some teams struggle. We've seen others start strong. But overall, there seems to be a good feeling that what we're seeing is good from the new cars and the new regulations. So again, for the first time since 2019, we'll be racing the Australian Grand Prix. Everybody was set to go in 2020. But of course, the world shut down due to COVID-19. And that's my top five things to watch for for Sunday's race. And that is the return of Albert Park. Now, we'll get into the specifics of the new track layout and all of that in our track talk segment. That is coming up. But this is not so much the circuit, but the emotion behind its return. This is where Formula One realized that the world was dealing with a new virus and everything had to be shut down. Everybody was there in 2020, and then the Grand Prix was canceled, and it would be four months before the Formula One season would begin again in 2020 as they tried to figure out how to navigate a new sports world. Now, for those of us in the United States, we all remember, if you're a sports fan, remember the NBA game in Oklahoma City between the the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder, where we really started to get the feeling like, oh, this is for real. Conference basketball tournaments were being shut down. The NCAA basketball tournament was then canceled. The NBA season was shut down. And then next thing you know, spring training is over. NASCAR is shutting down. And of course, Formula One was done as well until we could figure out how to navigate the new world. I think when we always look back on that year, I think Australia is going to be on the forefront of Formula One fans' mind. To know that everybody was there ready to race. Everybody was there ready to start the 2020 season. The excitement, the energy of a season opener, only to have it be shut down and not know what was going to happen next. Would we race again? How would the world deal with it? So I think this return, again, is not again, we'll get to the circuit and the racing and how close it's going to be and the new format and all of those things. But the reality of it is, I think the top thing I'm taking away from this weekend is the return of this circuit and the return of this race when we didn't know two years ago how this sport was going to react to the global pandemic. Now, the second thing to watch out for this weekend is the Ferrari Red Bull battle. I know, Captain Obvious, right? And then you might be hearing me say that in five things to watch for all season long, much like we did with Verstappen and Hamilton last season. Two races into this season, and it feels like this is a different battle than when Max and Lewis Hamilton were duking it out last year. They're close in age. They grew up together in karting. They seem to have mutual respect for each other. It's been a fun two races with them swapping leads, using DRS against each other. You know, one winning in the opener, the other 
winning the next week. Um, they Again, it just feels like this is a more respectable battle than we had. It doesn't mean it's better. We'll see. We've only had two races of this. And look, I've said it. Many people have said it. Get me to like round 11 when we, we start really seeing the heat of a championship fight get into these drivers. You know, yeah, there's a little, uh, you know, complaining about each other on track and whatnot. This guy did this, this guy. But nevertheless, afterwards, they're saying the right things about each other. But get to about week 11 when the pressure of a championship fight really starts to seep into these guys. And let's see how they react to each other then. But right now, it's extremely enjoyable. It's a lot of fun. It's great to see Ferrari back on top. We'll see if other teams can get into this championship fight. We'll see if Mercedes can get, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton in this mix as we go down the road. But right now, let's enjoy this. It's been really fun to watch these two drivers race on the track. I thought the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was a lot of fun, the final 10 laps of that race. And of course, I love the back and forth at Bahrain, but we'll see what Albert Park has for these two drivers. The third thing to watch for this weekend at the Australian Grand Prix is Daniel Ricciardo, of course, and McLaren. Now, three years ago, Ricardo last race at his home track. And, it, well, it wasn't very good. It was his first race for Renault at the time. He had to retire on lap 31. He lost his front wing at the start. This season, Ricardo has yet to score a point in the first two races. McLaren has struggled to field a competitive car. Look, McLaren is going to be one of those teams that we're going to start talking about as more races get clicked off the calendar. Are they improving? Are they showing better results? Are they adapting? Are they? Ch- Mercedes is going to be on that list as well but McLaren too. Lando Norris got the team in the points in Jeddah, but Daniel Ricciardo had to retire the car. Both drivers were disastrous in Bahrain, but now we're back in Australia. It's been a number of weeks and changing your car and, and, and utilizing some data is what they had been talking about, right? Looking at what the t- car was doing in those first two races to see how they can adapt it down the road to be more competitive. I know a lot of eyes are going to be on Daniel Ricciardo, of course, because we have not raced there since 2019 and it is his home circuit. So there's going to be a lot of focus on him, but don't forget the focus on the team in general. This was a P3, P4 running team last year before they finished behind Ferrari in the constructor standing, Right now, this season has not gotten off to a very good start. It doesn't mean they can't turn things around, but it would be nice to see Daniel Ricciardo get a good run at the Australian Grand Prix. Not expecting podium, but I am expecting some points. Plus, for a fan base that has not seen a Formula One race in three years, my God, it would be so nice if Daniel Ricciardo had a very good run. All right, the four things to watch for, at least what I'm watching for, are the pointless ones. And these are the two teams that have not scored any points so far this season, and that is Williams and Aston Martin. Now, for Aston Martin, it's simple. Sebastian Vettel's coming back after missing the first two races due to COVID. Nico Hulkenberg did his best to fill in, but everybody loves Seb, and everybody's glad that he's back on the grid. But this is a team that has not shown anything in the first two races of the season. And Williams, they have yet to record a point as well. Alex Albon and Nicholas Latifi both have struggled this season. Both cars did not finish in Saudi Arabia. Latifi crashed, brought out the first safety car, and then Albon got tangled with Lance Stroll and then had suffered a puncture, and he didn't finish the race as well. And it's interesting from Williams' perspective because this is a team under new ownership, of course. They're putting a lot more effort into being a competitive midfield team and already off to a bad start this season. Again, of the 10 teams on the grid, they are the only two that have yet to score points so far this season. And one of the things that we talked about coming into 2022 was the fact that there should be a more competitive midfield Cars should be able to run and get some points onto the season. We're not going to see a team like Haas last year that was completely gearing for the next year and was not going to be 
competitive of all two rookie drivers and a car that was way off the pace. All of these teams should be somewhat in the points. I know those points will eventually be coming for these guys, but right now they don't have any. They're the only two of the tw- of the 10 teams that have not had any points so far this year. All right, number five, and this is a big one for me, and that's Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. I've been reading a lot this week about Mercedes and the development to get rid of the porpoising effect of their car. They have not having the season that you would think, but at the same time, I don't think it's as horrible as they're making it out to be. Now, look, do they have problems with the car? Yes, they do. There's no question about that, but they're Mercedes and they should be able to start figuring that out. But let's not forget, because Red Bull did not finish the race in Bahrain in the season opener, they went 3-4, right? They went with Lewis Hamilton on the podium in P3 and then George Russell right behind him. Russell got into the points in a P5 finish in Saudi Arabia. It was Hamilton that was struggling, not getting out of Q1 on Saturday and then running into a P10 in at Jeddah. It's sort of in the middle for me. Yes, is it bad from the standpoint of if you're winning constructors championships and drivers championships and you're the best team out there year in and year out and you're not looking like that? Yeah, then you could say the season's not going the way we want, but let's not pretend like they're so far back. I mean, they're number two in the constructors title. They have had points in these races. They're just not competing for wins. Maybe their time will come if they can figure out some things on this car, but I don't think it's as dire as they make it, but I do understand why it's not up to their standard. So those are the five things I'm watching out for in Sunday's Australian Grand Prix. Now it's time to get to track talk. Albert Park has gone through some significant changes since the last time it held a Grand Prix in 2019. The chicane at turns 9 and 10, those are gone. There's a widening at turns 1, 3, 6, and 11. And this should create some better passing opportunities. Albert Park was not known to be a good overtaking circuit. This is going to be more flat out running from turn 6 to turn 11 and into 12. And one other thing, the entire track has been resurfaced. And that it could be slippery at the start of this weekend, but tire wear has been classified as moderate. Now, Pirelli bringing a different kind of combination of tires for this Grand Prix. You got C2 for the hards, C3 for the mediums, and then C5 for the softs. It's the first time they're bringing the softest compound for the race. So they're not bringing a C4. They're going with the softest of the soft tires for this Grand Prix, but going C2 and C3 for the hard and the mediums. Now, with the removal of that chicane at turns 9 and 10, the total number of turns now is going to be 14 with the penultimate corner turn 13 widened. This should bring more wheel to wheel action and more wheel, you know, racing into play. There will be 58 laps in this Grand Prix with four. That's right. Four DRS zones down the front stretch out of turns two into turn three coming off turn eight into the long sweeping left-hander into turn nine and coming off turn 10 into turn 11. So those are some changes from Albert park. If you uh, go back to 2019 with the sport, So we should see some better racing, but it'll be interesting to see how this Ford DRS situation is navigated. We know that Leclerc and Verstappen have used these DRSs properly in terms of the way they've been overtaking. And let's see what this is going to be like this weekend. All right, now it's time for top five and bottom five from Saudi Arabia. And just a reminder, top five and bottom five, it could be anything. It could be drivers, it could be teams, it could be circumstances, number of things that we can put in top five and bottom five. But we're going to start with number five, and that's poor Mick Schumacher. 
Saudi Arabia just really isn't his circuit. I know two years into the sport, but my goodness. He crashed last season, if you remember. That brought out a red flag. And then this year, he had to miss the Grand Prix entirely after he really crashed in qualifying. A one, one that cost the team around a million bucks. Uh, he will turn return for the Australian Grand Prix this weekend, and everybody is really glad that he is okay. I mean, thank you, Halo, once again, proving what a safety measure that is. But poor Mick Schumacher. I almost didn't want to do it because I'm just so glad that he's okay, but... But the reality of it is he didn't even make the grid and Mick Schumacher is number five in bottom five. Number four, Lewis Hamilton. Raise your hand if you were surprised he got, didn't get out of Q1 on Saturday and qualifying for that race. I did. I mean, look, I know the, that, the, that the Mercedes car isn't the normal Mercedes car. It's not going to be up at the front. They are dealing with some issues. But my goodness, Lewis Hamilton couldn't get out of Q1 on, in qualifying? I mean, George Russell did. That's amazing. Um, and by the way, in the Grand Prix, because he was starting in the back, he had to make the hard tires work and then missed an opportunity to change out of them during the safety car. Now, again, he did finish 10th, so he did earn a point. But Lewis Hamilton had a pretty bad weekend for Lewis Hamilton standards. I mean, just starting on Saturday and into the Grand Prix in and of itself. So Lewis Hamilton, who gets into bottom five because of something he did while running up front, he gets bottom five because he ran near the mid-pack. Number three, and that's Williams Racing. Uh, we talked about this earlier. They have no points this season. Saudi Arabia was simply a bad night for the team. Nicholas Latifi crashed early. That brought out the safety car. That's the one Sergio Perez pitted on, cost him the lead of the race. And then Alex Albon saw his Grand Prix end after he tangled up with Lance Stroll. That caused a puncture, and neither car finished the race. I think points will be coming for Williams. At least I hope it does. But right now, they are really struggling as a team, and Saudi Arabia was a terrible, terrible evening for them. Number two, the checkered flag. What a bad evening for the checkered flag because it wants to wave for every single driver on the grid. Everyone that starts and launches, it lights out. But at Jeddah, only 12 of the 20 cars finished all 50 laps. Now, we've seen major crashes that have taken out a good chunk of the field in Grand Prix before, but this was different. Let's review this, shall we? One, Lance Stroll finished a lap down in 13th place. B, Valtteri Bottas had engine trouble, overheating. He had to retire the car. C, Fernando Alonso stalled out just before the pit entry. He's done. Daniel Ricciardo also stalled out 15 laps in the finish. Night, night. Nicholas Latifi crashed out early, bringing the safety car. Yuki Sonoda didn't even make it to the starting grid. And, of course, Mick Schumacher that we mentioned before couldn't even race after crashing his car in qualifying. 12 drivers finished this Grand Prix with all 50 laps completed. If you're the checkered flag and you want to wave it for all 20 bad night for you when just a little over 50 percent finished the race and number five and again this is something we talked about in our review of the saudi arabian grand prix but i'll touch on it again and that is the fia in saudi arabia in and of itself there was one overriding story out of Jeddah, and that was the issue of the race itself should formula one be going there in the first place when you have a missile strike seven miles from the circuit it's going to bring out a serious conversation and it did drivers and teams met into the night to discuss the continuation of the weekend the conversation did not end there there's been a number of columnists writing around the world about whether or not this Grand Prix should even take place. A lot of sports that go into countries like this where there is some issues with human rights or some issues in terms of their government with some issues that make us squirm and they all say the same things which is we want to shed light. We want to use our sport to shed light on some of the issues here and hope for a change. The reality of it is there's a lot of money to go to Saudi Arabia and they're not turning that down. So 
the drivers and the teams and the mechanics and the engineers and everybody that was concerned about the safety of the race had their voices heard. But in the end, the Grand Prix went down anyway, and they went down, thankfully, without any major international incident. But it does bring up a question. Should this sport be racing in areas of the world where it is not necessarily safe in countries where we do question their morals in the way they have their government? That's, again, too big of a story to just ignore. And I know that it was not a great look for the both the FIA and the country in and of itself when the big story was whether or not a race should be won because a missile hit a oil refinery seven miles up the road. All right, so that was the bottom five. Now it's time for the top five. Number five on the list, Lando Norris. He got more out of his car than the season opener in Bahrain. He finished P7. He got McLaren on the board with some points. An important finish given that Daniel Ricciardo had some mechanical issues late that caused him to retire the car. Number two, Esteban Ocon. Now remember last year at Saudi Arabia? It wasn't that long ago because it was the end towards the end of the season. But remember he got beat to the line by Valtteri Bottas, almost finished on the podium. But he had another good run. P6 for the Alpine driver at Jeddah. Esteban Ocon is at number four. Number three, Kevin Magnuson. What more can I say about K-Mag? It's another points haul for Haas. All right, it wasn't a haul. He finished P9, but I don't care. When you've gone a whole season with zero, I think Gunther Steiner would consider any points a haul. So Kevin Magnuson, congratulations. You're keeping Haas in the points. And good for the team, too, because they were one card down with Mick Schubacher out. Kevin Magnuson putting Haas on the board. And you know what's cool about this? Everyone is saying all the drivers who are racing against K-Mag who have gone, you know, wheel to wheel with them said, man, Haas has got a great car. Haas has got a really fast car. And that's great because I know they put a lot of effort in 2021 into the 2022 car. They sacrificed an entire season to get that car in 2022 ready. They had two rookie drivers. They were willing to finish last in every single Grand Prix to get those drivers experience. Obviously, Nikita Mazepin isn't any use to them as of the moment, but Kevin Magnussen is putting Haas on the points board. And a lot of people People are feeling good about it, and a lot of people are being very complimentary about what Haas is doing this year. All right, number four, and that's Ferrari. The continue, team continues to dominate. It's only two races, but my God, it's been two podiums for both drivers. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz finishing P2 and P3. They have a nice cushion in the constructors' standings after two races. They look like the car to beat. I know it's a long way to November, but my goodness, it's glad I'm glad to see Ferrari back on top. And this battle between Leclerc and Max Verstappen looks like it could be the real deal for the whole season. But of course, number one in our top five is going to be Max Verstappen. The driving ability of, of Max is just off the charts good. He waited for his moment and then he pounced when he could. He passed Leclerc and then was able to get ahead enough to pull away to defend against a counterattack, which he knew was coming. Red Bull did need a big result after the Bahrain weekend when both cars fell apart and didn't finish the race. They had Sergio Perez on pole. They got a P4 out of him, but Max was on top of the podium for Red Bull. So again, he is our top driver from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And just a note, if you're new to this program, not always is the winner of the Grand Prix number one in our top five, bottom five. If you hear other podcasts or other people talk about driver of the day, it's not always the guy that wins. It's a guy that impresses. It's a guy that shows us something even more than expected. So that's how we do top five and bottom five. But this particular one, you can't help but give it to Max Verstappen. That was a masterclass in overtaking. Waited and waited and waited. You know, did it a few times and then waited for the right moment where he could get that acceleration, get that pass, and then really get ahead so that there was no real counterattack from Charles Leclerc. So that's how top five and bottom five rounds out. 
All right, I want to touch on briefly of the news that Las Vegas will be getting a Grand Prix in 2023. I'm, of course, excited for that as an American broadcaster. I'd love to see the races here in the United States. I love the U.S. Grand Prix last year being the most attended race on the 2021 calendar, and also that there's going to be a Grand Prix in Miami. This would give the, the country three, and I understand if you're listening outside the United States, you're probably rolling your eyes at this increased attempt to grow the sport in the United States. It's interesting because for new Formula One fans, they think this is sort of a, a entry into a market. Formula One has been racing in the United States forever, right? There's been so many places in the United States that have held Formula One races, including Las Vegas in the, in the early 80s. If those who are old enough to remember the Caesars Palace parking lot, it didn't draw a crowd. It wasn't really that interesting. People didn't like it. And so it was completely off the calendar. Uh, this, of course, is going to be different. And, and circumstances are different. And, and again, for those who are old enough to remember its failed attempt in Las Vegas, that was 40 years ago. It's totally different now and the reason is is because the landscape of the sport has changed completely. Right now we are seeing a sport that is just dripping in sort of the global money that, they, that they're able to generate. And now you're starting to see promoters and the sport in and of itself so popular. Everybody wants a little piece of that, including myself. That's one of the reasons I started this podcast as an American broadcaster who loves Formula One. I am capitalizing on the fact that more and more people in my country are interested in the sport. But nevertheless, don't look back 40 years ago and say, well, it didn't work then. Why would they think it worked now? Well, of course it's going to work now. They're going to be racing on the street on a Saturday night with the neon lights. The, 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 the sport has completely changed in terms of the way the media is covering it. Is, there is a groundswell of interest that is now popping up amongst a new generation. So if you want to judge it by what happened in a Caesars Palace parking lot, you know, go ahead, but it's really completely irrelevant to the conversation. I think this Las Vegas Grand Prix is going to be gigantic. I, I think it's going to be huge for television in the United States. I think it's going to be huge for the popularity in the United States. But again, if you are listening outside this country, and I'm sure you are concerned about where exactly is this going, will there be four Grand Prix in the U.S.? Now, I've seen maps of, that show Europe, and they go, look how close to proximity these races are, and you want to complain that there's going to be four races in the United States. I get that. I do understand that. To my brethren in the United States who, who use that to sort of point out to people that the U.S. is a big country, and just because you have one race in Austin and one in Miami, it's not the same about all of the races in Europe. But the reality of it is, is the European countries are all independent, right? They're all different. It's not one homogenous country, right? Italy is not the same as Belgium, is not the same as Spain, is not the same as Portugal, is not the same as England, right? So, to me, I think if you are Germany, for example, and you don't have a Grand Prix on the calendar and you look at the United States and they have three, I would be pretty upset. I would be wondering why my country that's part of the birth of this sport and produced its greatest driver can't get a Grand Prix when we don't even have an American driver on the grid. And yet there's three Grand Prix scheduled for next season. Now, I do think eventually that there will be a Colton Herta on the grid that will represent the United States. But again, it'll be treated as if Formula One has never had that before. Um, a couple of American drivers have been on the grid. Mario Andretti was an American driver on the grid, right? We've had Americans race in Formula One before, not that, not that long ago. But the reality is, is they want a star. They want an American star on the grid. We talked about this last season with Colton Herta, right? The idea that could he get into Formula One? And if so, would he race for Haas, let's say, right? Well, 
the United States here here in the United States, we may be excited about an American driver, but we want that American driver to be competitive. And if he's on a if he's in a car or he's in a in a in, on a team that is not competitive on the grid, we wouldn't be as interested in him. Now, of course, 2022 is a lot different than 2021 when we talked about this. Haas is showing that they can be competitive, but the reality was at that time there were people saying, well, he can't be on a Williams, he can't be on a Haas, he can't be on a backmarker team. If that's the case, we won't pay attention. But if you want to continue to grow the sport in the United States, putting races in this country is the first step. Getting an American driver is the second step. And then getting an increase in coverage by the American media. Right? It's one thing to talk about a Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen battle at the finale. But what we lack here in the United States is sort of a daily presence in news coverage. We don't just want to hear about races. We want to hear about the news of the sport. What is McLaren doing? What is Mercedes doing about porpoising? What about the driver market? How much is that going to be changing? We lack that sort of daily conversation and those daily news pieces that you get in other parts of the world. I love uh, Sky Sports, for example. I watch a lot of their clips where they talk about the news of Formula One, the news of the day. Here, we tend to watch a Grand Prix and then wake me up when the next Grand Prix is going to be happening. Many of my friends who are new fans to Formula One, they don't really know the schedule. They just kind of know that there's a Grand Prix coming up. Oh, yeah, it's in Australia. That's right. And I don't even know where they're going next week. I'd love to see an increase in sort of the way the media covers the sport. Las Vegas is sort of the pinnacle of that, because I think when you have a race at one of the premier cities in the United States for entertainment, then everything does seem to become a little bit bigger. For somebody here in the U.S. to watch on a Saturday night, cars racing on the strip in the fall, even though it's football season, I think it's going to have an impact. I think there is a draw to that. There is an attractiveness to that that is going to bring in more fans. In the end, that's what Liberty Media is going for. The market is too big. I, I, I know, again, that I'm preaching to the choir for those of you who are listening in the United States, but for those of you outside the United States, there is a gigantic untapped financial market in the in this country of people with money and their resources and time. And I know Liberty Media, based in Denver, Colorado, has saw that and said there is a market for this. It's why Drive to Survive exists in the first place. It's why ESPN has gotten the uh, Formula One rights and promoting the heck out of them. You see it all the time if you watch their programming. They are really pumping up Grand Prix. They are seeing an increase in ratings. They are seeing an inc increase in interest. You are starting to see different sort of websites that cover football and baseball and basketball segue a little bit into Formula One. I'd like to see it more. I know I'm trying to do that on my radio show. I know I'm trying to do that here with this podcast, but that's going to be the key. I'm looking forward to the Las Vegas Grand Prix. I hope I can attend next year. But I also know that I don't want any other races around the world to be taken down so that the United States can have more and more Grand Prix. This news business that's been popping up lately about Monaco being in trouble, please spare me. I'll believe it when I see it. Monaco's not my favorite race, of course. I mean, I understand the history of it, but the overtaking is so bad that it's it's really hard to enjoy as a racing venue. But my God, I mean, Monaco, come on. It's one of the crown jewels of motorsports. It ain't going anywhere. But that being said... I, I do I do understand some of you out there who listen around the world who wonder what exactly the love affair is with the United States. And for those of us here in the United States, I'm looking forward to its increased presence of Formula One on the sporting calendar. All right, that'll do it for us. Next week, we'll have the review of the Australian Grand Prix. Glad, glad, glad it's back. I am so excited for this weekend. Albert Park, we've missed you so, so much. Once again, subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already done so, leave us a five-star review if you like what we do and hope you will. You can also find us on Facebook 
Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. You can participate in some of the discussions on the news of the day in Formula One. I'm Tony Deziri. See you next week for the review of the Australian Grand Prix. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. This is the Overtake F1 podcast.